This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of News of the Day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. And it is Share the Show Tuesday. We've got a couple of features on Share the Show Tuesday. One is that I will tell you about places that you can meet each other in real life. So if you know anyone in Southern California or Kentucky, today would be the day to share this show with them. But we've also been told that if you are a paying customer and you listen to a subscriber-only feed, then you can't share the show. If you would just tell people to go to thepropreport.com. There's a continuous player there at the very top of the podcast feed. You will find the most recent shows. And really the reason to share the show is if you know anybody who is ready to have the scales pulled from their eyes, who are sick of the mainstream media or who just realize that the stories were being told, the narratives do not fit the facts or the facts are not true. So especially in these times of COVID and the Russian aggression in Ukraine, if some of those stories don't ring true to you, you're probably going to want to listen to the Drive Time News Blast. So please tell your friends and stay tuned because at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you where you can meet real people, like-minded people in Southern California and Kentucky over the coming week. And don't forget, if you are a Rockfin subscriber, we are having a Rockfin deep dive live show tomorrow, Wednesday at five o'clock Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, where Binkley finds clips of the conspirators conspiring and his goal is to trigger me, which he's pretty much always successful at doing. So you're going to want to see that. <laughs> it's pretty fun and interactive. Uh, all right. So that's it. On with the top story. Top story of the day is that there's a chemical attack, alleged chemical attack that everyone is investigating that they say Russia has committed against Ukraine. So yesterday we learned that the butcher of Syria would be taking over the military operations in Ukraine. And we were assured that he loves committing atrocities. And then today this promise, I guess, is sort of fulfilled as they are saying that is in uh, Mariupol, where they say the, the alleged chemical attack happened. Now, Ukraine is investigating the claims and... This isn't at the top of most of the reports on this, however. The Azov Regiment, the far-right group that is now part of the Ukraine National Guard, they said in a statement via telegram that a Russian drone had dropped a poisonous substance of unknown origin on its fighters defending a giant metals plant in Mariupol. And the Azov did not provide any evidence of the alleged attack, but they said its fighters had suffered minor injuries. So what is left out of a lot of the stories is that it is the Azov regiment that is the ones who are making this claim about the chemical attacks. When I was pulling back the curtain on us, the claims that the Syrian government attacked their own people with chemical weapons. They used footage that clearly showed the actual rebels who were supported by the West 
blowing off chemicals that were provided by Germany and I think the United Arab Emirates. And those rebels went to the hospital with burns because they didn't really know how to handle the stuff. So I think Mariupol is one of those areas on the coast where there's a real battle for the hearts and minds. And the Azov Battalion was put in place to fight other Ukrainians. They're the ones who don't care about the other people, whereas I think the Russians are trying to have people come onto their side. So I would find it more likely because the Azov, I'll tell you why I say that, because there was hidden audio or recorded audio, leaked audio was given to, I think, the UN that had the Azov battalion plotting to shoot at the legs of people who were trying to flee and use the humanitarian corridors, I think, in Mariupol. So if anyone's hitting on the people in a dangerous way, I would think the evidence so far has been that the Azov Battalion is more capable of that. Yeah, it could be. In regards to this being Russia or not, there is no evidence that has been presented to support that, just claims. But if Russia say, says that they are going after Nazis and these are the group that are being classified as Nazis, then that would be credibility. But I'm not saying it is or isn't. There's no evidence presented. Listen to the way that these, this stuff has been reported today. Russia's use of chemical weapons in Mariupol, unverified, but an expected development as Moscow faces setbacks. So expected. Then we have a senior U.S. defense official said that the U.S. cannot confirm whether Russia used chemical attacks in Mariupol or elsewhere in Ukraine, but the Pentagon is concerned Russian forces could disguise such attacks. Now, I thought this part was interesting. The DOD says that they have seen evidence that Russia has considered disguising the use of chemical weapons weapons by making them appear to be more benign riot control agents. So they would be using stuff to disperse crowds and mixing in chemical agents that they are going to claim are in violation of the, what are they in violation of? What is the international? Geneva Yes, Convention? thank you. That's what I was looking for. But they, it's such a weird way to hit soldiers. I mean, because there are like relatively few of the human beings that would be attached with the soldiers. And a lot of the thing with soldiers is that you want to take out their their stronghold and their equipment. Seems like a weird thing to use against soldiers. I saw an explanation on the news. This was on CNN. So I don't know the credibility. Yeah, No, but I'd like to hear it. Yeah. They said that. The, target, the attack wouldn't be designed to hit soldiers or people, that it would be designed to poison that land so that people would not go back to it so that they could take control over that piece of land. That was now useless? <laughs> I guess so, yes. <laughs> For whatever the reason. Now, yeah. in response to that, the British... Armed Forces Minister said that all options are now on the table for a Western response if Russia has found to have used chemical weapons, and the U.S. says that they are aware of it, and they are also investigating it. Now, this comes on the backs of this war crimes investigation that we have seen that is amping up internationally, where the prosecutor of Ukraine says that she has now identified the 500 suspects, or has identified 500 suspects in a sprawling probe that includes Russian politicians, military personnel, and propaganda agents who wanted this war, wanted to start this war, and continue this war, and that they are investigating 5,800 cases of Russian war crimes. And they say it's not just war crimes, it's crimes against humanity. And we also have the International Criminal Court, who has traveled to Ukraine, that is now doing an investigation as well. And... I watched a panel discussion last night at the Brookings Institution that was about crimes against humanity and genocide, and 
the rights and responsibilities of the international order. That was what it was titled, of the rights and responsibilities of the international order in regards to those things. And of the many interesting things that they talked about, one of them was the possibility of Russia and Russians being charged with war crimes and crimes against humanity. But they talked about the double standards that have gone on throughout history in the application of international law. And then they pointed to the vote in the General Assembly a few weeks ago that was in relation to Russia's actions in Ukraine. And they they pointed out that only half of the African nations voted, that the other half abstained from voting, at the, and that one of the main reasons they abstained from voting is because of the double standards in the applications of international law. And that was a main concern that they brought up, saying if we move forward with this international investigation and potential prosecution, does that leave the United States and Britain specifically open to similar charges at an international level? Because these other countries have a problem with the way the U.S. and the U.K. apply this international law. I would say, historically speaking, the victor decides who's a war criminal or not. Yes, And I did notice there was a huge article in the Wall Street Journal today that said, I think it was from today, Ukrainians use drones and facial recognition software as they investigate alleged war crimes. And it goes on to say prosecutors gather evidence in the killings of hundreds of people in Buka or Bucha, whatever you call it. So but what they're doing, of course, I realize immediately that they're just instituting the total surveillance state on the guise of, you know, war stuff. So they're downloading videos, they're downloading pictures, they're examining metadata, and they're saying that they're trying to just build a case against Russian war criminals to use in court. But in my opinion, they're building, they're gathering data on individuals who may not be fully engaged in the anti-Russia, you know, propaganda. You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of the Gabby Petito investigation. It reminds me of the January 6th investigation, the open source calls to send in your information, to send in your photos. Definitely. And on the back of that, we now have NATO planning to enlarge, which, you know, that was a concern or that was talked about as being a something that might have triggered what Russia did. And we have the Secretary General of NATO saying this week that military commanders are working on plans to transform the alliance's presence on its eastern borders to a force capable of taking on an invading army. And I think you'll recognize some of this language here. He went on to describe the alliance's presence on the eastern borders thus far as being a relatively small tripwire force intended to symbolize the alliance's commitment to defend itself from a Russian attack. However, this war, Russia's war against Ukraine, is going to change that. He said that regardless of when, how the war in Ukraine ends, the war has already had long-term consequences for our security, and NATO needs to adapt to that new reality, and that's exactly what we are doing. And then he goes on to say that NATO is the most successful alliance in the history for two reasons. One is we've been able to unite Europe and North America. The other is that we've been able to change when the world is changing. Now the world is changing and NATO is changing. And then he went on to classify as every action that Ukraine does or that NATO does on the behalf of Ukraine as being defensive. All actions are defensive. That's another privilege of the war propaganda Uh is that even stuff that's Offensive, they just call preemptive. Yes, exactly. Preemptive and defensive. And with that said, Finland and Sweden are now looking to join NATO, perhaps as early as this summer. And I've told you this before, in these panel discussions, all of them 
CFR, Brookings Institution, Chatham House, all of them, they say NATO wouldn't be where it is today, wouldn't be as great and as amazing as it is today if it were not for Vladimir Putin, essentially praising Vladimir Putin for his actions, making NATO big and powerful once again. Giving them the enemy they needed. Yep. Very interesting. So a couple of things I want to follow up on today from yesterday. One is that the deepest dive of the day is going to be a little bit about the evolving China-Africa initiative. So I wanted to follow up on that from yesterday. And also one thing that I did follow up on was that Home Depot fire in San Jose. It just didn't seem right to me that there was not even a Home Depot there. And I figured somebody (laughs) would let me know, but nobody did. Um, So I looked into it and it Although it isn't in the Google, like if you just search it, it is on their website that there was one there and there was one in the Wayback Machine, although there was no workshops or anything current. So I don't know what that means. And then when I went to check Patreon this morning, someone actually did leave me a message. Jeff said uh, there definitely was a Home Depot on Blossom Hill Road, but it may have had a different address because it's set back. I was in that store, I remember, because it was the first place where I decided I wasn't wearing a mask. That was in April or May of 2020. It did have an awkward layout and a small parking lot. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some funny business with that fire. But it was there. It was for sure a place at that spot. And Osh was down the street and did go out of business. So we shall see. I do still think that was an extremely fishy story. And there's nothing's going to convince me that. Uh, there isn't a meme rising of urban fires that will rival the kind of devastation and fear mongering that the wildfires give. And that was the first one that they said they could see from outer space. I feel like that's definitely or from satellite, which is not outer space. But anyway, so I feel like that does continue a trend. And then the only other little tidbit I had to add to the free 30 is that Gilbert Gottfried was just reported to have died, quote, after a long illness. He was 67. And it looks to me that this is very preliminary, just came out as we were going to air, that he had a sort of muscular dystrophy and he didn't look well. And I thought I recall I recalled that it looked like it was thin and muscular dystrophy is really devastating disease. Um, It's actually it's he called it tight. Wiki calls it type 2 myotonic dystrophy, which is a rare form of muscular dystrophy. But his actual cause of death, they are already reporting, was ventricular tachycardia. So my guess is that was a complication of his illness. But because I anticipated an entire slew of deaths and illnesses this year that would not be attributed to COVID or the vax, but may result from the complications from those things tachycardia is a racing heartbeat which you know that's the kind of thing that is triggered by they do say is a side effect of the vax so i just my basic premise of all this has been that the vaccine was actually designed to exacerbate these illnesses and and promote accelerate death. Now, that's just my opinion that it was literally designed to do that. But I realize that's a little bit down the rabbit hole anyway. But I do feel incumbent to it's incumbent upon me to uh, just keep track of these people who die, you know, what I consider to be on the young side. Yeah. What's scary about that in regards to the vaccine is that it seems as though anyway, that many people are not affected by it 
the first shot. However, in some of the case studies I've read, it's the second shot that affects them. So if we're going to continue to push people to get a third and fourth and fifth booster, if they're going to try and make it a year-round thing, then people who were unaffected by it the first time around who's to say that it's not going to something's not going to affect them the next time yeah i don't want to feel longer you know yeah that the spike protein which is a toxin is cumulative can accumulate yeah so the more you jam into yourself that's why the protein subunit ones seem to have a little more you know a risk that you can get your mind around because it's a defined amount and it's been deactivated whatever that means Whereas the stuff that actually prompts your body to create the antigen or to create a subset of the antigen is it's undefined how much it's going to produce. So Novavax, for example, is a protein subunit. They're still slow rolling that. But that's the difference between the old, the conventional style and the the mRNA and the DNA style. Yeah. I am sad to see that. Gilbert Godfrey has died. I liked him very much as a comedian. He went there. He always went there, which I I always appreciate appreciate that in a comedian. He's fantastic at any roast that he did. In my mind, he always was one of the best ones. Libertarians are going to love this. His the biggest thing he did in his one season at, on Saturday Night Live was he imitated his his impersonation on the news was of David Stockton Stockman, who was I believe he was Reagan's economic advisor and he's been like a real contrarian economics guru for the longest time he was a trump supporter whatever i like him he's a real character but i i couldn't the videos were scrubbed or they're not on the internet so i could not see gilbert godfrey doing david stockman but it would have been pretty cool and i'm just wondering what it was you know, it would really be funny for me to see what would rise to the level of, I mean, Stockman must have had such a personality that he's got a character on SNL when he's the economics advisor. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's had big. Had to be in the 70s, probably. Very fun. 80s. 80s. Interesting. Super fun. Another story that is at the top of the news right now is this Absolutely. shooting that happened in New York, New York City. 16 people were injured, 11 by gunfire this morning in a Brooklyn subway station. And what happened was, this according to the police commissioner, is that the, well, the gunman is still on the run. He went on the subway station. He had a gas mask on. He let off a smoke canister, and then he opened fire on the passengers and some people on a platform. He was wearing a green construction vest and a gray hooded sweatshirt. And they say it's not being investigated as an act of terrorism, but anything could change that. No one is apparently facing life-threatening injuries. I saw in one report, but then hmm. I saw that some yeah, people are that. in critical condition, yeah. so uh, that, might, that might be mixed. And then another... Uh, police official said that the suspect was seen mumbling something to himself before putting on the gas mask and releasing the smoke canister. They said he's about 5'5", five, five, heavy set, and there were no working cameras on the 36th Street station, according <laughs> to police. No working cameras. Ridiculous. It's uh, odd how that happens sometimes. I don't believe that. And then, but they did get an image of the person from a bystander's cell phone. But I can imagine with the smoke going off, it might not have been the best image. And they said they found multiple smoke devices and a bag of commercial grade fireworks at the scene. And I believe there was some undetonated. And maybe this was a firework. Some of the reports on this are mixed. But what stands out to me on this is 
a couple of things. Obviously, Biden made his announcement about going after ghost guns yesterday, the guns that you can make yourself. And also the fact that we're talking about a chemical attack or alleged chemical attack in Russia that is done by using what appears to be crowd control, dispersive smoke with chemicals mixed in. And then we have a guy come on the New York subway and use like a crowd control like device to throw a smoke bomb and then fire away. I wonder what these other five people who are at the hospital, what they're affected by if they're not affected by gunshot wounds. Is this a, a similar example to what we're seeing in Russia? They're also attack or not Russia, Ukraine. They're also attacking subway stations in Ukraine. This is a subway station attack. We have this guy who has a gas mask on, was planning it. This actually sounds like something that we might have heard that happened in Ukraine, but it happened in a New York City subway. This is modern warfare. This this is the type of stuff combined with cyber warfare that I think we have to worry about in the future, where it's not as clear who the attacker is, and the attack is not the typical type of war-like attack that we have seen, at least in my lifetime. And you're saying it's so we feel this pain? Perhaps. Make it real? I, it wouldn't surprise me if we find out more about who this person is, and it's not just some random attack. I think that obviously that wouldn't surprise me or you or anybody else, but it wouldn't surprise me if this has something to do with, with Ukraine, if they have some sort of link with the the suspect in Russia or something. I don't know where it's going. It just seems very similar and very parallel to what we're hearing out of Ukraine. Yeah, sounds right. All right. Well, I've got a pretty long, deep dive today, even though it is a part two. So uh, I think we ought to get to that. We are going to, it's going to try to keep getting to the bottom of the African coups and why they may be taking place. The U.S. is training people who seem to be going rogue and overthrowing their governments. Kind of weird. Craziest thing keeps happening. We don't know why. Maybe because they don't support the international investigations that we want them to support. Well, we'll see. I'll tell you what I think <laughs> after... Uh, I tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR hat tip to Binkley on calling the shift among Democrat voters and Stacey Abrams versus Ron DeSantis. That should be interesting. And uh, big thanks to the sponsor of today's shows. We have so many wonderful sponsors that uh, you can actually go to the and go to the shop page and find the sponsors that we have and their promo codes and all the great products. And, um, but if you want to, so you can support us by supporting them, but if you want to support us, you can enjoy one of our premium offerings. So you can go to rockman.com slash propaganda report and sign up for not only our stuff, but the exclusive content of all the creators. There are many, many creators. And if you do that, you will be able to see our best product there, which is the Rockfin Deep Dive Live, which we're going to do tomorrow, which is Wednesday at five o'clock Pacific and eight o'clock Eastern. So without further ado, let us get on to the deepest dive of the day. So yesterday I talked about how they had these crazy stories of how we did some, we organized, I think, up to 37 different countries to do anti-terrorism maneuvers. We get the military leaders and soldiers of African countries, largely on the West Coast of Africa or West Africa, basically, they call that region. And as, and as we've been training them, 
one by one in the countries that we've recruited people, they've gone back to their countries and taken out the secular leaders and instituted military coups. Burkina Faso was one. Guinea was one. Uh, geez, there was another one that was right off the bat. Um, Sudan. But there were others where there it was attempted and failed. And I, I just couldn't figure it out because there were so many countries involved and the Green Berets were there on several different occasions, like clearly a pattern. Our guys just over and over again, a variety of different guys, even more than I read yesterday on the air, go around saying like it's there was no sign of this. Um, even the famous Jeffrey Feltman from the Ukraine coup was like, I don't know, I've been working this guy for two years. And like just after the meeting, he went and did a coup. I mean, I who could have seen that coming? They have the same like, I don't know why. Don't look at me attitude and are acting like we had nothing to do with it. And I just I was trying to figure it out because I didn't I feel like China took over Africa that what was happening in in Africa is all China all the time. And I couldn't understand our angle. Maybe we were trying to be the political entity while they were the economic entity. So I dug into it a little bit and it apparently in China's most recent articulation of their goals and plans in Africa, they have gone back by a lot. They have really pulled back significantly. It looked, it was for the longest time, just you know, really hitting infrastructure, debt financing, um, giving export credits in the debt so that they could take the money they're getting through infrastructure and debt financing and spend it on Chinese products. And they're really pu pulling back on that, on infrastructure investment, on debt, and on the trade imbalance, the emerging trade imbalance. I think what I think, you know, what's it's been attributed to like optics. They're afraid there's a debt crisis brewing there. They don't want to look like they set up a debt trap to Africa so they could then just own the whole place, IMF style, I guess. And uh and I can see that they seem to care about their image probably to their own people of kind of whatever being good actors. Now, this as I was looking through it, I said somebody sent me a tweet and it ends up it was JJ Boogie sent me a tweet about Rwanda being the first country to set up a center for the fourth industrial revolution. And in the article he sent me, it was just all full of like platitudes from the World Economic Forum guys and from the people who run Rwanda, just saying like empty phrases. But the headline of the article said that that they were setting up a uh an institute or whatever dedicated to AI. Mm. And that's when I realized like they literally were using the expression AI and the fourth industrial revolution interchangeably, which of course it, you know, in a way it should be, they say it's about the industrial revolution. Fourth industrial revolution is about blurring lines between biology and technology, but that I think of it as creating cyborgs, but AI you know, neural nets is maybe the uh, the flip side of that. And maybe it's the more important side of that. So I was looking, when I was looking through all the countries that we are, are present in or having these relationships with that were in the list of places we've trained, Rwanda weirdly was not on the list. And I think now, if I think back, it's like, because we already did Rwanda and Rwanda happens to be on the cutting edge now of what we want in Africa. So I just want to read the two you lines. Mean like they're the example of what we want in Africa. 
Say that again? Are you saying that they're like the example of what we want in Africa? What I say, they're on the forefront of they're what we're asking. They're on the cutting edge? Yeah, I'm saying that they're going to go first. Okay, I see. And this says, with the advent of the fourth industrial revolution and the rapid innovations witnessed during COVID, there is an increased urgency to develop digital and technological capacities to build more resilient systems for a healthier society and a more sustainable economy. If you didn't know what platitudes meant... There you go. Uh, That's the Rwandan Minister of Information Communications Technology, ICT, which is really like the acronym, not the acronym, but the initials, ICT. Um, That's the propagandist is what that role is, that guy. I don't think so. The information I would say, communication officer? It's That's what I'm trying to say. That information communication technology is like the ICT or ICT is... Um, uh, information and communications technology. It is, well, I'll get to that. It's it's what e-governance is based on, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So Rwanda has launched the C4IR saying it will, this is from the World Economic Forum, the president, it will work with stakeholders around the world to design and pilot new approaches to technology governance that fosters innovation in an inclusive and responsible manner. So first of all, I thought, well, this sounds like a good way to make people irrelevant. And maybe that's my idea of like the Wally example, where they're, the reason that they're hitting like all these Western countries with the vaccine so hard is that they want to take out anybody who might be a middle manager. They don't need that anymore. They're going to replace it with AI. Um, it says the 4IR, Fourth Industrial Revolution, presents opportunities for governments to improve service delivery with new tools thanks to the rise in e-governance. Now, I had not noticed that term before, so I looked into it, and it's pretty radical. So, like, I look at this, and what they're doing in Africa, it seems to me, is they're saying uh, they're taking their mechanizing the people. They said that what happened there is they went from the rural community directly to like service industry, to banking and tourism. Like banking to me isn't an industry unless you have industry to support. So I don't really know what's going on there, but they took out, they call it like a stackless industrial revolution, but it's it just means there's nothing, there's no, maybe there's no real infrastructure, industrial infrastructure there at all. And they're just skipping to where, like we said, they have people code or I don't know what. But this thing of e-governance is, is really a technocracy. It's absolute technocracy. And it even takes the technocrats out of technocracy. And the wiki explanation was telling, although it's extremely salesy, but it said it's the application of information technology for delivering government services, exchanging information, communicating communications, transactions, and standalone systems that interact between government and citizen government and business and government and government, as well as government employees, as well as back office profit processes within the entire government framework. Governmental services are made available to citizens through IT. And uh, it goes on to say, although the e-government is different from e-governance because e-government is just using ICTs, that's what they say, in public administration, whereas e-governance is two-way and it is 
requires a substantial increase in regulation and policymaking capabilities, as well as additional expertise and opinion shaping processes among various social stakeholders. So this is a way that they they centralize power. They push it up to the top. They they know that they have to shape the opinions of people. They put the people, the policymakers in place to do that. And uh, the motto is basically the use of technologies that help to govern and which in themselves have to be governed. So the idea is to reach beneficiaries and receivers of government service directly and automatically recognize the importance of the job. So it's really automating, getting people. It's a lot like the Allison McDowell stuff. Yeah, that's and what I was thinking while you were it, saying that. Yeah, It can be related to public-private Partnerships. That's how they're doing it in India, for example. But like what Alison McDowell was telling us is, and she did mention Africa, that you have like this electronic social worker and they have you fill out just pages and pages and pages and pages of stuff, check in regularly, like in a time um, sensitive manner. Like they, they did that with COVID. Like if you were in some countries like Japan, if you're in quarantine there because you're like trying to travel in and out of the country, they will FaceTime you so they can see that you're in your hotel room. And I'm telling you, they called me when I was in New York last year. They came to our house this year, like to see if somebody had COVID. I mean, it's really crazy. So they are, so if they can do that electronically, they can then start the reaction process electronically. They, you can have a massive governmental apparatus with very few actual people on the ground. So you can have like a tiny amount of masters and a whole lot of slaves. It's like the Borg. It's almost like the Borg in that it's spreading the technological communication around the planet. This, I think, also relates to the the Internet gap they talk about or the digital gap between the poor nations and the, the wealthier nations and how they need to bridge that gap to make sure everybody gets connected so that way they can more easily access everybody and have everybody locked in. I think this also affects 5G with the, the technocracy stuff. Yeah, this makes perfect sense. And the Brookings Institution actually, so I'm trying to get to the bottom of why we're doing this. Why, why are we plugging into their governments? And I think that their the Brookings Institution is, or Institute is calling for specific things. And I think that we've identified what policymakers will play ball and what won't. And we're training the military guys to take out the guys who won't play ball and then we'll go in and put them in. And what the Brookings Institution is asking for, they're saying that we took a step back in our economic relationship with Africa, um, both regard to or regard to loans, foreign aid, trade and foreign direct investment. And we need to reverse that, that their report urges that they need to continue to influence and immerse themselves in the African continent. They should target investment and aid to areas that allow the U.S. to leverage trade and um, business integration. So Africa has a continental trade organization. And it reminds me of when Lindsey Graham was talking to those that leaked audio that he thought he was talking to Turkish people and that he didn't care about anything but the trade arrangements. This is really fascism it's really the business side it's ex- it's using government to force um other governments to adopt policies that are favorable to our business it says they should support africa on its path to growth under the four ir the fourth industrial revolution so that they can have regional stability but 
That's not what they care about. They're actually fomenting instability. Finally, the U.S. can increase lending, using it for further flex of power for mutual profit. I mean, this is they're really laying it out what they're after. He said that. Uh, The report said that Africa's global influence can't be ignored and policymakers, businesses and international players need to take action now to ensure that the future decades have a coordinated effort and a strategic effort to bring out the socioeconomic and structural reforms that they want to benefit African-American and global citizens alike. But it seems to me that it's all about the business. And then they tell specifically the resources that they want to exploit. They say key resources in Africa that are not being utilized to their full potential. Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa has the highest share of uncultivated fertile land in the world. It has the highest share of uncultivated fertile land in the world. Remember, people are talking about um, food shortages. The big export from Africa to China is agriculture. I thought it was commodities, but it's agriculture. And they're saying, well, we want to correct the trade deficit. That just means China wants more agricultural products from Africa. And it is it is the biggest untapped, uncultivated fertile land of the world. Uh, large areas of the land are not being used relative to the productive capacity of the land and uh, both with respect to services and manufacturing. So they want to build stuff there. And that in itself is a product is that creates a customer for their machinery, like Halliburton during the Iraq war. Their workforce is also an, a largely untapped resource. These are human beings. Gaps in education systems leave workers without the needed skills to compete in the modern economy. That's getting them to code. Yes, I was and about to say, cheaply. do you know what they're teaching yes. Africans? They're teaching them to code for free right now. Cheaply, yes. And African farmers also, and you're talking sub-Saharan Africa, that's really cheap. African farmers also face challenges related to the quality of seeds, so give them GMO, the availability of agricultural machinery, that could be Halliburton itself, and the irrigation systems. So in general, the inefficiencies exist in infrastructure, education system, electricity grids, internet access, roads, and they are, it says, hindering Africa's ability to capitalize on its potential. I would say it is hindering these cronies' ability to exploit Africa. He says the um, they need to take action uh, for both political. The U.S. needs to take action for both political, dem- diplomatic, and economic reasons. That's why I think it's diplomatic is you know having a coup. They would call that diplomacy. They would call that hard diplomacy, really, like in their kind of nomenclature. And um, they should increase their diplomatic visits. They should target their investments based on the the mutual trade agreement over there. And they should increase aid. And this is just outrageous. They should, the U.S. should increase aid. So government money, your taxpayer money to facilitate U.S.-Africa business partnerships while creating benefits for all stakeholders. I mean, that's that, they're taking U.S. tax money to benefit U.S. businesses. It's outrageous. So I think that they're just trying to take out guys who won't go along with this. And the way they usually do that, it's like the oldest trick in the book I'm beginning to realize as you have a revolution that takes out the old party. And then like 10 years later or 10 months later, I don't know, you have a shadow revolution that replaces the people who took power, who are weak and unstable and faction infighting, and that you replace it with your guy who brings stability back. And that's what I think Jeffrey Feltman was doing in Burkina Faso, was it? Or was it Sudan that he was messing around with? I can't remember which one. There were so many. 
Yeah, and they like to experiment with stuff in Af- with African nations, too. They've done that for a long time. They even referenced this in that Brookings Institution panel discussion that I, I mentioned earlier, is how the double standard has been applied in regards to Africa so, so often with international law, because they... They don't seem to care when the United States or Britain or other countries does something to one of these nations. So that's it. And uh, I'll keep my eye on that. I'll see what's next. And I was surprised to find that China was pulling back. I actually have uh, more on that if we if we have time in the XR. Yeah. So, But I do have a few shout outs. We have... I'm going to have this last time I'm going to mention it because I'm not sure how many seats at the table I can get, but we're going to do a meetup in Sherman Oaks at Casa Vega, which is an iconic place. It is really a cool place. But if you want a seat there, you're going to have to meet me early. It opens at 430 and I'm going to be there at 430. I did make a reservation, but they wouldn't take a huge party. So we're going to just have to populate the place. I'm going to try to sit in the bar, but we might be on the patio. You'll find me, no doubt. So that's Casa Vega at 430 on Saturday. This week, that's that would be Saturday the 16th. And then the Higher Side Chats is having some meetups this week also on April 13th, which is tomorrow at 6 o'clock in San Diego at the Rabbit Hole. There's going to be a meetup. And on April 15th, which is Friday at 7 o'clock, there's going to be a meetup at Goodwood Brewing in Louisville, Kentucky. So those are some cool places for people to meet each other in real life. I can't hear you. Well, that's because I've been talking with the mic muted. So now with the mic unmuted, thank you, Monica. That was interesting as always. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform of the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that DMB Live that we do tomorrow night, you can go to rockman.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there. And you can check out our other offerings on Patreon at patreon.com slash propaganda report or locals at propreport.locals.com. We will talk to you guys tomorrow or in the DMBXR. Have a fantastic rest of your Share the Show Tuesday.